We are back with another episode of Bully Ball. I'm Jason Aponte, joined by Rob Stats Guerrero. Uh, Steph is sick. Hope she feels better, so she's going to miss today's episode. But before we get into any sort of 49ers talk, I think the first thing that we have to talk about is Damar Hamlin and the unfortunate uh, scene last night. Um, You know, I want to start by saying that when we talk about football, when we talk about this game, I think we lose sight of how dangerous it is sometimes, how fragile this thing is, you know, and uh, when players hold out for more money, people get upset. I, I've always been pro player. Not that something like this is common, but it does happen, I guess, right? Like this is the first time something like this has happened, but this isn't a time to talk about why it happened, what what to do with the football game, what it's, what it's here to do right now, what you're supposed to do right now is just even if you're not religious, is just send good energy to Hamlin and his family. Still a little shook up from the scene last night. Rob, what do you think? Well, the thing that stuck out to me is how sometimes the most just kind of innocuous, regular looking play can lead to disaster. You know, I I remember when Dale Earnhardt crashed. That crash was not even close to the most dangerous crashes, the biggest crashes we've ever seen. And ultimately he died as a result. And that play last night looked like a regular football play. The guy, you know, Hamlin tries to make a tackle, gets hit in the chest. And obviously what happened afterwards is not regular, but the tackle itself looked regular to me. And I immediately thought of Christian McCaffrey in the Raiders game. There's a play, a little screen pass where he gets the ball and he smashes into a Raiders defender and totally plows him over. And it was just amazing to me how we see these type of collisions all the time and we don't think anything of it. And last night, of course, we saw just how how bad things can go. Yeah, and we always talk about football players putting their lives on the line. You never think that it – I mean, I think you say it, but I don't think you ever really believe that something like that could happen. And then to see that happen last night – you know, the scene where, you know, with all of the players, you know, being very emotional. Um, bravo to Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott. Shame on the NFL. Um, I'm sorry. I love this sport that we cover. I, at times, despise the organization itself. Um, to be able to say, you got five minutes warm up. We're going to run this game back. And, of course, I'm just going off of what was seen on on the TV, right? Like, that's not that's not fact it's speculation right it's all the things that but it appeared to me that the NFL was fine with just starting the game right back up and bravo to Zach Taylor and and Sean McDermott for saying you know hey five minutes no they they went and they met and they said no we're taking our guys off the field all those guys were still distraught you know class act by Zach Taylor especially him being the the host right Cincinnati and we understand the the schematics it's it's the end of the year it's hard to reschedule these games but that goes all out the window when you see what happened to Hamlin with the CPR and being taken out and everything and how distraught everybody was, I I think they did an amazing job. Yeah. I think the coaches deserve a ton of credit for how they handled this. Uh, Troy Vincent, the NFL executive vice president said there was never talk of a five minute warm up period or any other time frame other than making sure both teams had proper time in the locker room. I'm sorry. I don't buy that. I don't buy that explanation from Troy Vincent. We have seen the NFL be tone deaf when it comes to things concerning player safety many, many times in the past. And I, I'm sorry, like they've burned through the benefit of the doubt for me. I think this was a coach and a player decision and credit to them because that was absolutely the right decision. I mean, you, 
I have never seen players on the field react with that level of horror before, honestly. And we've seen guys get physically mangled. And yeah, there's there's a reaction, but it wasn't like this. And I, I think of what those players must have gone through. They're on the field. Hamlin is getting CPR on the field. God knows what they heard the medical staff say during all of this, right? Because the medical staff, they're they're doing their best and credit to everybody there because sounds like they literally saved his life on that field. Um, but, you know, I'm sure the players heard he's not breathing, administering CPR. Just the, the shock of that. I've never seen a player reaction like that before. And look, we don't know for sure what happened yet, but it sure seems like those coaches deserve a heck of a lot of credit. For sure. And and that Troy Vincent thing, that is such a spin zone at that point. I mean, if the NFL wanted to get out in front of that, they could have absolutely done that immediately when the tele when the telecast was going on. When you're when you're showing the game, you could have immediately put something out, a tweet, something like that. We never no. That's absolute BS. They were ready to start that game. I mean, if it was relayed to the booth and the booth is saying it, they wouldn't be saying that just because they're they're thinking it like in their head, right? Like that was definitely there. But yeah, um, I also want to credit uh, Troy Aikman, Joe Buck, Booger McFarlane, Adam Schefter, um, Ryan Salters, Ryan Clark, Scott Van Pelt. Yep. Having to having to cover this and find a way to do it delicately, be able to 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 not overstep anything like that. Um, I, I felt that they had they had a no win position, and all of them were were amazing during this time it was hard to watch because there was many times when they went to booger mcfarland and and other people and booger didn't want to talk and i understand i understand he, he said there's nothing that needs to be said more than prayers to this young man and and i think again that's where we are right now i mean we're recording this at 11 o'clock eastern time um i think that's all that needs to be said when it comes to this we don't need to get to the root of how this happened what happened what led to this or any of those things Let's make sure that the young man is fine first before we figure all of those things out. And I think the one thing that I want to leave you guys with is always prioritize the person. There are still people in those pads. They're still human beings. Forget the game. This is bigger than football. Forget the the outcome. Forget the logistics of what's going to happen with these games. Forget all of that. And just remember that there's a, there's a, a brother, you know, a, a son, a person that has family around him that right now is hurting and us as a part of the NFL community, we cannot lose sight of the fact that we still have to remember that these people are human beings under that, under those pads. I totally agree with you. And by the way, I agree with all your comments about ESPN and the coverage. They went more than an hour without a commercial and think of how diff I look, I used to produce live television every day. That's an insane, incredible thing to do. It was absolutely the right decision. You can't you can't go from talking about Damar Hamlin fighting for his life to, you know, some random ad for God knows what. So incredible job by everybody, all the people behind the scenes at ESPN uh, for what it's worth. And again, like you said, we're recording this a little after 11 a.m. Eastern time on Tuesday. Um, Jordan Rooney is a marketing representative for Hamlin, and he was on. Uh, Good Morning America earlier today, and he said, quote, I can't speak specifically on his medical condition. I will say that he's fighting. He's a fighter. The family is in good spirits. We're honestly just taking it minute by minute, hour by hour. <sighs> just, you know, I, I feel for his family. I feel for those teammates and everything. And again, you know, kudos to all those people, the coaches, the the announcers, everybody who 
realized what was more important at this moment than a football game. They'll figure that out when they figure it out. It's the NFL. They have moved heaven and earth to move games around for COVID. There is no reason that they won't be able to do this somehow and figure it out. But yeah, just an unfortunate situation. A little bit shook up still. You know, I've never seen anything. You know, I've been watching football for a long time, a long time, uh, more <laughs> longer than people would like to believe, you know, or could believe. Right. But I've never seen anything like that ever. I've never been a part of a scene like that or, or watching anything like that. So Damar Hamlin, um, thinking about you today, hoping for nothing but the best. And uh, this is way bigger than football, guys. But um, yeah, um, I don't know how you transition from there. So I guess we'll just take a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk some Niners. All right. The 49ers on New Year's Day did play the Las Vegas Raiders, and they came away with a win. There's differing opinions on this win. Um, There's people that see the sky falling. There's people that, like myself, think this is actually a good win, a win that I think some 49er fans needed to see in terms of checking boxes, especially with Brock Purdy under center. Um, I think that that's one of the things that I walked away with. Rob, what were your initial thoughts on this overtime victory uh, over the Raiders? I don't think it's fair to expect the 49ers defense to be all world every minute of every game in the entire season. If you go back and look at even some of the greatest defenses of all time, the 85 Bears, they got cooked by Dan Marino on Monday Night Football. It happens. Now, granted, we didn't think it would happen against Jared Stidham, but it happens. It was New Year's Day. It was Vegas. I think that their guard was let down. Nick Bosa literally said they underestimated Jared Stidham a little bit. And... Sometimes the offense has to pick up the defense. That's allowed too. And it was nice to see that the offense did it. And I don't think it was something that they were capable of early in the year. I think it shows the evolution of this offense as the season has gone along. Yeah. And and I'm glad you brought up the 85 Bears because I did some digging too, right? You know, we, we thought that this defense was elite. I still think it is. I think this is more of a one-off than it is something that's more of a pattern or something that should be a concern. So I did some digging and I looked at some of the most dominant defenses and some of the performances that they've had. The 2000 Ravens gave up 524 yards to the New York football jets and 421. Wow. Yeah. And 421 yards in the same season, the 2013 Legion of boom, 476 yards to the Houston Texans, 409 yards. Also in that same season, the 85 bears allowed 445 total yards. These are the most dominant defenses probably of all time. Some of them, right? So games like this happen. Now, the funny part is the 2000 Ravens went on to win the Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer, right? And the 85 Bears won with Jim McMahon, right? So the sky isn't falling. I think what you do take away from this is that it's a little bit of a wake-up call. And I like what Nick Bosa said. That is refreshing. As fans, sometimes we sit here and we think, man, they underestimated these guys. They were lazy. They're... To hear somebody say that. I think that was refreshing. I like that. It's a wake-up call because you can bet your ass it's not going to happen again. What I do <laughs> want to say is, is this. Credit the Raiders. Credit Jerry Stidham for their game plan. And I think that that's – two things can be true. The 49ers defense didn't come out and they weren't they weren't up to par. But they also, you know, were, were victims to somebody who, who executed their game plan. It was clear what the Raiders wanted to do. They wanted to attack the secondary, which is probably the smartest thing for you to do right now with this this defense. You don't want to attack the linebackers. You don't want to let that defensive line get you. You have to attack the spots where they can be beat, which is right now in the secondary. And we'll talk about that. That's probably the, the highest level of concern at this point. But they executed their game plan flawlessly. And sometimes we see in this league, Backup quarterbacks galvanize a roster. And all of a sudden, these guys are playing 
uh, harder than they ever had. Not that they didn't play hard for Derek Carr, but sometimes there's a backup quarterback that comes in. There's a new energy. They they executed their game plan. They did well. I mean, they attacked what they needed to attack. Am I off base by just saying, you know what? Give credit to the Raiders here on the, in this game. Yeah, I think that's fair. Look, Josh McDaniels, you might not think he's a good head coach. The dude knows how to run an offense and create an offensive game plan. There's a reason that the Patriots kept hiring him back to work with Tom Brady. The dude knows football, and I'm sure he went to the Miami tape earlier in the season. I'm sure he went to the Kansas City tape and said, these are the things that worked. Here's the things that we can do and apply it to our system. And and also, let's point out, Josh Jacobs, really freaking good. Devontae Adams, really freaking good. Darren Waller, really freaking good. Like the Raiders have a lot of really good pieces on offense and they use them. And like you said, some of it was D'Amador Lenore having a rough day. But yeah, give them credit too. Josh McDaniels is not an idiot, okay? Good job, Raiders. Yeah, and and, and that's the thing is, is I feel like 49er fans want to point the blame at the defense. You can't let this happen with Jared Stidham. Guys, they get paid on that other side too. And they did let their guard down. It's just the facts are the facts. But I want to start with the offense. Um, I felt that this was a good learning experience for Brock Purdy. This felt like a playoff game, even if the opponent wasn't a playoff team. These are the types of ways that you're going to have to win games. You're going to have to battle back. They went down 10 points, which, as we as has been pointed out many times, is usually doom and gloom for the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> 10 points means... You know, the Death Star's blown up. It's over. Game's over, right? But Brock Purdy fought back, and he led two game-winning drives at the end of the game, basically. But when you contrast his first half, which he had 38 yards passing, and he finishes with 278, I believe, or something like that, to that effect, I think this was important for him to understand that these are the ways that they're going to have to win playoff games. You're going to have to fight back. Your defense may not pick you up, and I love that you brought that up. The 49ers are showing you different ways to win games. Their defense can clamp you up and they can score 10 points and walk away with a win. Or, well, you know what? The defense isn't clicking. We need 37. Let's get 37. So I think this was a game for Brock Purdy to check a box that many people needed to see. And thank God it happened this week as opposed to happening in the playoffs where we have no track record of him doing that. But I think this was an important step and something that many people needed to see from Brock Purdy also during this game. You get reminded that while we're all excited about Brock Purdy and what he's been able to do, he's still a rookie. There was a throw across the field that you're like, that's a rookie throw. Um, (laughs) There was times where you're like, that's – see, I think it was important for two reasons. One, you needed to see him do this. But two, it also reminded people that while we're all excited and the things that Brock Purdy has done, he's still a damn rookie who was drafted in the seventh round. He's starting his fourth game. While he doesn't look like that, it's important to remember that and support. It might be important for fans to be reminded that he's a rookie, Rob. Yeah, I think the expectation is, oh, well, they have all these pieces around him and Kyle Shanahan calling plays. He should never face any adversity whatsoever. Like, no, that's just not how it works in the NFL. But the thing that I liked and that you talked about is like the Niners got punched early. Raiders go touchdown. Niners respond. Raiders immediately come back with points. And then they got that awesome catch from Adams at the end of the first half. That was really like the Raiders saying like, hey, we're not going away. This wasn't just like, oh, the one drive D'Amico Ryans allows and then they clamp down. Like, no, the Raiders consistently put pressure on the 49ers. And you look at the last five possessions for San Francisco. Field goal, field goal, touchdown, missed field goal, field goal in overtime. 
You look at the last five possessions for the Raiders, interception, punt, field goal, touchdown, interception. Three out of the last five possessions for the Raiders were either turnovers or punts. So the Niners defense did what they needed to at the end of the game, and the Niners offense did what they needed to do at the end of the game. Yeah, missed field goal, man. Uh, all right, well, we'll just we'll just leave that one alone. No, all no, right. <laughs> don't just leave it. Okay, it's it's a thing. All right, Robbie Gold has missed five field goals from inside fifty yards. That is the most from a 49ers kicker in a season since David Akers had nine. The only thing that should make you feel a little better about that, that was 2012, and that team did end up in the Super Bowl. I guess. All I know is my kickers don't matter agenda has never been stronger. It has never been stronger. And then you literally turn on the game at the end of, of that night and Chris Boswell doinks one. You know, you have the example of the uh, national champ. Well, the, the semifinal um, that that kick that it was like not even close. Stop valuing kickers, man. They're all just regular people at this point. Either way, um, back to the offense. Boy, that Christian McCaffrey trade still looks better each week. I mean, my goodness, man, he is the engine of this offense right now. Whenever you need a play, whenever you need something under desperation, like a check down, anything like that, it is Christian McCaffrey. And and again, I think we're far from the point right now, Rob, of being able to completely grade this trade because he has so many more years on his contract. We don't know what these picks will become. But as of right now, it's got to be an A-plus for this first year at this point, right, Rob? I mean, I don't know how you could look at it any other way. He had almost 200 total yards of offense. He scored a touchdown in five straight games. The whole the first drive was 65 yards. McCaffrey had 60 of them. Like, he is literally capable of carrying everything offensively for this team. They haven't lost since he had a full week of practice. Obviously, the Chiefs game they lost, but he was with the team for 30 seconds before he got out on the field. It's weird that the Panthers also would say like, hey, we love the trade too because they've been able to run the hell out of the ball since trading away Christian McCaffrey. But I just think it's a it's an absolute home run. Now, he is a little banged up. Kyle said yesterday he's got an ankle, sprained ankle, so we don't know. Uh, hopefully, Elijah Mitchell can come back this week and maybe they could give McCaffrey a little bit of a rest here before the playoffs begin. Um, but he was absolutely everything for the 49ers on Sunday. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the crux of how we – grade this trade is going to be his health and his effectiveness going down. Like they didn't get him here for one year only. Right. And, and as of right now, it looks great. You know, a lot of people were, were upset about how many picks. Okay. That's fine. As of right now, it looks like this, but we won't be able to grade this trade properly until we see the full scope of it until we figure out what those picks are. Like if Carolina uses those picks and they end up with four stud players that are foundational players, you know, who's to say that, that maybe that trade worked out better for them than it did the 49ers? That doesn't mean that the 49ers would have drafted those same people. And that's when the hypotheticals will come into it. But as of right now, I don't see how you can look at this trade, especially since he's been fully implemented, how much, how many times they've won. They've won every single time. They haven't lost yet, undefeated. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, my goodness, what else do you want? And yeah, he does have a mild ankle sprain as per Kyle Shanahan. So I think this week, you can afford to either limit his touches or completely rest him and beat up on this Arizona team that is completely uh, their bear right now at this point. The only thing that scares me is that it's J.J. Watt's last game. He probably wants to go out with a bang. That scares the hell out of me. And if you watched him play uh, uh, last week against uh, Tampa Bay or two weeks ago against Tampa Bay, that man still has plenty of juice left. But, yeah, I think you can get by with Jordan Mason, uh, TDP, who actually played in this game. But 
yeah, this trade so far, it it just looks perfect. Let's talk about the wide receivers, though. I mean, is it Brandon Ayuk wide receiver one season right now at this point? I mean, I, look, I think it's fair to say that Brandon Ayuk is the best wide receiver on this team. Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey are the best offensive weapons. You're, it's it, it all started in training camp for me, Rob. A training camp, every single day that I was there, and everybody else can corroborate this. He was the best player day in, day out. Didn't matter. Mooney Ward in front of you, Emmanuel Mosley, doesn't matter. You're, you're going to get baked. I, I'm going to I'm gonna beat you. But I think the tipping point was that training camp brawl, Rob. I, it it felt like it was – it felt like Brandon Ayuk was staking his claim and letting everyone know, not only am I here and this is my year, but I'm here to lead this team. And I am here to defend my teammates. I am here to be a – staple member of this team like i'm not just a guy on this team who contributes on the field i do it all now i think that was the turning point and i think that's when we all should have kind of known that this type of season for brandon Ayuk was coming rob that's interesting you know i kind of forgot about that brawl but now that you mention it well i mean warner specifically talked about wanting to pump up brandon Ayuk and frustrate him and, and sort of get him going a little bit and here we are you know in january ayuk has got a career high in catches a career high in yards and a career high in touchdowns i don't think that that's an accident and he was so clutch for this team at the end of the game again with no debo samuel so he's the primary focus of the secondary obviously kittle too but i mean especially as Ayuk went along in that game he was clearly the number one target and he's getting open, like, by a lot. Like, you cannot cover this dude one-on-one. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's just growth. You've been seeing it. This was the type of year that we expected last year. Whatever. Speculate, doghouse, injury, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. That's far gone. But when you saw at the end of the year, you were seeing a guy who was blossoming. And now you've seen it come to fruition now. And it's just, I started thinking about training camp again because I was talking with Brad Graham about it. And I was like, man, it, it really was right there all in front of us. Like we were so impressed with him day in and day out. But then that that there was it's not the it's not the fact that he wanted to fight, you know, Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. It was the development of being a leader. And it was a development of like, I am so confident. I'm a guy now. I am here. I am one of the top guys right now. Like that when I started to think back and we started to talk through it, I was like, that was the moment that you really should have known. And in I am so happy for him. 43 yards away from 1,000 yards. I think they get it for him. Um, I, I Just an incredible season, right, Rob? Oh, you're right about him being a leader. Who helped break the team down in the locker room after the game? Fred Warner and Brandon Ayuk. Yep. Think about, Absolutely. you know, he was in the doghouse last year, and now he's breaking down the team in the locker room. So that's a journey right there. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's beautiful to see the 49ers have hit on another receiver. It's just another piece. And when Debo Samuel returns, it just means that this team is just going to be harder to defend. Um, you love to see it. Juwan Jennings had two catches for 46 yards. That's 23 yards a clip. Um, Danny Gray uh, had a had a run. I mean, it should have been a longer run. I think he felt like he was a little bit, you know, shortchanged. He, he had a lane, but he just missed it a little bit. Ray Ray McLeod, I mean, all he has to do is touch the ball once. It's either a 71-yard touchdown or a 46-yard <laughs> catch. Uh, I mean, he's uh, he's literally like uh, Dollar Store Debo, I think, at this point. Like they can use him in that way, where it's just like <laughs> where it's just like a quick a, a quick screen pass. He can take it and go. But um, as far as the wide receivers go, I mean, it's still Brandon Ayuk. But it was good to see uh, those guys pitch in a little bit. Let's talk offensive line now. There's a lot of talk about Mike McGlinchey lately, right? And he is on his way to a contract year. You're starting to see some 
stories come out about him, Mamiyoko's writing about him and the season that he's having and Max Crosby, did he play in this game, Rob? Uh, I, I didn't really I didn't really see him. You know, I think that Shanahan shouted him out and he deserves a ton of credit. He's playing with broken ribs, first of yes. all. And like, do not gloss over that. When you have broken ribs or any type of rib injury, breathing can hurt, let alone playing football. And yeah, I'm sure they gave him some medicine, whatever. I don't care, man. That's incredible to do. Max Crosby, Kyle Shanahan said going into the game, he's probably the second best defensive player this year. Mm-hmm. And he was largely erased from this game. I think he was kept off the stat sheet completely. McGlinchey deserves credit. Kyle deserves credit for developing a game plan. But yeah, this is a perfect time for Mike McGlinchey to be playing his best ball because he's going to be a free agent after the year. Rob, I want to throw something out at you, and you let me know if you if this is crazy. Um, I think Mike McGlinchey is as polarizing as Jimmy Garoppolo in terms of mm. fan reactions. What do you think, Rob? Ooh, as polarizing, it's close. Um, he might be. I don't know if he has as many defenders though as Jimmy Garoppolo he has. He doesn't. He doesn't. Like I, I just <laughs> feel like I feel like when you talk about Mike McGlinchey, there's two schools of thought. He's terrible, or he's good. That's it. There's only two ways that people look at it. And I'm not here to champion him. I'm not here to change your opinion on him, right? Because he has played well the last few ball games. What I will say is this, and this is something that I said about Jimmy Garoppolo, and this is how I want to tie it all together, Rob. When he plays well, say he played well. When he doesn't play well, say he doesn't play well. It's not hard when you're evaluating players. If they're playing well, say that they're playing well. That doesn't have to change your overall feeling on them, and it doesn't have to change the way that you view them. Anytime that you watch Mike McGlinchey and he hasn't given up a sack in weeks, if you can't objectively say, hey, look, he played well. He played well this week. That's all you need to do. It doesn't mean that you need to go out and order a number 69 jersey. It doesn't mean that you have to say he's the he's the right tackle. But what you do have to notice is this. Two things. And I think you need to prepare yourself for this. The 49ers love him in that building. You're probably not going to find an upgrade this offseason at right tackle. So prepare yourself for this third thing. Mike McClinchy's coming back. So, and he's still here. It's interesting, like he's doing all this also coming off of a serious injury last year, an injury that has Mm -hmm. ended careers, you know, and I gave Nick Bosa a ton of credit for what he did last year coming off an injury and he deserves it. Mike McGlinchey deserves flowers too for that. Like we forget about that. I agree. Like, I don't know that you're necessarily going to be able to upgrade, especially, you know, not having some of the draft picks that the Niners have had in years past. It's going to be interesting to see what happens because I think there's a team out there that'll throw a lot of money at McGlinchey. I don't necessarily know that he wants to leave. Yeah. You know, he he's talked about a lot of the mental kind of journey that he's been on and dealing with that and how he's been helped along by the 49ers and Trent Williams and that stuff. Not saying he's going to take a massive, massive discount, but I'm not totally sure that Mike McGlinchey is just going to say, I'm going wherever the highest dollar figure is. And Joe Staley's still here, like for him and all those things. And, True. and and again, continuity is important. Continuity is really important. He understands the system. They brought him here to run this system. Uh, I definitely think he's coming back at this point. I, I mean, it's just gonna be a dollar amount. But when people say, Well, can they afford him? The cap's going up, there's ways to move things around and money and all that stuff. I, I have I, I have little doubt in my mind that he'll be back. I want to stick with the offensive line because Aaron Banks went down in this game and Thank goodness it sounds like he avoided major injury. He's out this week, 
which is fine. That I mean, <laughs> just give them the week off. But I want to highlight somebody again who people really never talk about and somebody who I continue to say is the person that gets no love, Daniel Brunskill. I mean, Daniel Brunskill, yeah. steps in, Daniel Brunskill steps into this game and he, he steps in at left guard. It's the least amount that he's played in the position uh, of either of the positions on the line, right? And who else has a player with this sort of versatility that you can count on, right? Your center goes down, cool. Your left tackle goes down, cool. Your right tackle goes down, fine. He's he's able to play all of these positions and then not only step in and just fill in, step in and play exceptionally well. I mean, that, that Christian McCaffrey long run, he springs it, and then he has the wherewithal to pull his legs in and move out of the way so, so McCaffrey can run through. Rob, why don't people give Daniel Brunskill more love for what he brings to this team? Because he sometimes has a couple plays where he looks really bad. And no one's to see that McCaffrey play that you're talking about. No one, you got to rewatch that play in slow motion. And you're right. He does pull his legs in. Nobody's doing that, right? It's little things like that. We just expect, oh, next man up. You're supposed to be able to fill in in the offensive line. But yeah, all those positions, it's really freaking hard to do. The The footwork is different at guard versus tackle. Like it, it's really hard to do. And yeah, is he like an all pro player at all those spots? No, but damn, they would be in a lot more trouble without him than they are with him. I'll say that. Absolutely. A hundred percent, man. I, I just, again, how many teams have somebody like this that can fill in in a pinch, right? And just go ahead and, and just say, hey, hey, you know what? You played left guard, like maybe a few snaps, get in there. Like, just get in there and just play 50 <laughs> snaps. Just just casually play 50 snaps of the 67 snaps. Like, unbelievable, man. Uh, You know, he just deserves a ton of credit. Trent Williams committed two penalties in this game, which is super uncharacteristic, and it kind of killed one whole drive. Um, That was something that I took away from this. But either way, that's something that when I say uncharacteristic, it means Trent doesn't do that, obviously, so it's not something to necessarily be worried about. It's just when I hear 71 and I hear the official saying 71, I'm like, wait, what? Like you, uh, a penalty? Like Trent Williams? No, never. Like it can't happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I just assume they're wrong. Right. I was just like, wait a minute. They got that wrong. That had to be Brendel. Who, oh, by the way, <laughs> deserves some, some credit as well, too. Jake Brendel's been playing very well. I mean, I think kudos to this offensive line. They've been playing very well. They're gelling very well um, at the right time, at the right time at the end of the year. But let's flip it to the defensive line. Hey, the Nick Bosa guy, man, he didn't have any sacks in this game, Rob, but 10 pressures. He It's the second time this year that he's had 10-plus pressures, um, with the last pressure being the, the most important one, where he literally walks back an offensive lineman into Jarrett Stidham's chest, throws his arms up because he knows Deshaun Gibson, which is kind of bold, considering that ball went up, and he's just like, he's like, oh, he's going to catch it? Oh, you sure? Uh, <laughs> but he throws his arms up, and Deshaun Gibson brings it in. Nick Bosa's really good, but I want to start with Eric Armstead. I want to start talking about this again. Stat sheet doesn't look impressive. You know, two, three tackles. Oh, he didn't really do anything in this game. Bullshit. I mean, on this goal line stand, <laughs> he's tossing offensive linemen. He's tossing the next blocker and on his knees brings down Josh Jacobs, who has been incredible this season. Eric Armstead is giving this defensive line another level of juice eric armstead where would he be without you right now at this point and why did you get a ticket from a raiders fan who was upset that you dominated <laughs> his, his offensive line right rob yeah he got a ticket after the game um when you have two tackles like yeah okay that doesn't sound that impressive when you're double team you split the double team throw a dude out of the way and tackle a running back who by the way nick bosa said after the game is the best, best. running back he's ever played against mm -hmm. like 
yeah, it's a little more impressive. And we kind of gloss over it. Eric Armstead moved from end to tackle, and he's playing defensive tackle at an all-pro level. And that's not an exaggeration. He's playing defensive tackle as good as anybody around the league is playing it. And it's no coincidence, by the way, that Javon Kinlaw is back and the 49ers have had two goal line stands in two weeks. Those dudes in the middle are absolutely dominating. 22 snaps for Javon Kinlaw. It seems like he's ramping up. That's 22 over 16 from the last week. That's good. That's a good sign. He was actually credited with a hurry. I want to talk about Kerry Hyder. Kerry Hyder had a back-to-back play sequence in this game that was imperative to the to the comeback attempt. It's him getting a quarterback hit, which which allowed uh, an incompletion to happen, and then him batting that ball up in the air for Drake Jackson to get his first career interception. This offensive line I and mean, defensive line, when we're talking about them every week, we're like, man, a many Hugh is is been incredible. Jordan Willis has been great. Kerry Hyder's back. This defensive line is so loaded that one week it's always going to be somebody different. If it's not just everybody, maybe next week it'll be Samson Ebukam, but. This is the plan. It's always been the plan for the 49ers to be dominant on both sides of the ball. Chris Kosurik does a great job with these guys, man. It's just, it's incredible to see the contributions that they get from all of these guys week to week, Rob. When they traded for Jordan Willis, I'll never forget this. I was like, do I even put this in 49ers in five? <laughs> Who is this guy? They gave up like a sixth round pick for mm-hmm. him. And credit to Chris Kosurik, man, everybody that they bring in plays way better than they played anywhere else. Jordan Willis has been fantastic this year. And I know that because I keep going, who the hell is 75 out there? What's what, 75? He's always around the quarterback who blocked the punt in the Packers game that Hufanga returned for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Jordan Willis. They get so much out of these defensive linemen that they have brought in. And it's it's their whole defense. Their whole defense is centered around getting pressure from the defensive line. And these guys do it every single week. Jordan Willis should get a card for going into the Bay Area for never having never having to pay for a drink for the rest of his life because of that mm-hmm. black punt. Like he he deserves one of those because that is a that's a moment in, in 49ers history. Like down the line, we are gonna say, where were you when Jordan Willis blocked that punt and Hufanga picked it up and the 49ers moved on. I mean, it didn't end that way, but it's still one of those moments that, that we're always going to remember. But let's talk about the linebackers real quick. Um, Drake Greenlaw got injured in this game. It sounds like he's not going to miss any time, which is great news for me. It didn't feel like it was a serious injury. He popped right up and he ran off. It felt like Kyle Shanahan was like, you know what? Like, don't even, don't even mess with that. And that's great. I love that. You know, he was running. Um, He was sprinting on the side. It was okay. Um, But Fred Warner had a bit of a rough game. Um, in this game and again doesn't mean that the sky's falling anything like that but I think Fred would tell you that he didn't play well in this game I mean the the third down face mask that like really extended the drive I think that they ended up with a touchdown that was the Devontae Adams touchdown now I do want to point something out PFF credited credited Fred Warner with that Devontae Adams long coverage bust touchdown um I'll be honest with you, um, Rob. I haven't watched the All-22. I haven't understood what the responsibilities are. I don't have a strong opinion either way as to whether that was him. But regardless of that, the the face mask and then the pass interference penalty in the end zone on Darren Waller, you know, Fred just had an uncharacteristically bad game. I mean, I I don't want to sugarcoat it at all, but I just don't know about that 60-yard touchdown and who it's really on. Yeah, I, I can't tell who it's on. I've watched the all 22 on the play. 
I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But I do agree that Warner was just not his usual self. And I wonder, I feel like when he gets into trouble and when the Niners defense gets into trouble in general, they try and do too much. Hufanga gets in trouble when he's too damn close to the line of scrimmage and not dropping deep enough. And Warner, I just feel like he's so fast and he's he's capable of getting anywhere that sometimes I feel like he tries to do too much and sort of make up for deficiencies on the defense when things aren't going well. And it was not his best game by any stretch of the imagination. And that's fine. That doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean you need to be concerned. It's just in this particular week, he didn't play like his normal self. And I think we have a high standard. We have a high bar for Fred Warner because He's all pro Fred, all of those things. And again, I think if you asked him, he would say, I didn't play my best ball, you know, and that's fine. All right, let's just get to it, Rob. It's time. Uh The secondary. So my initial concerns coming into this season were, okay, we have a new safety. He's a bit aggressive. He's put some things on tape last year where he's shown some problems covering. He's susceptible to double moves. It's a little too aggressive on other routes. Well, it's starting to happen more and more every week now. I think it's five touchdowns now in the last few weeks. I was concerned about this all offseason, and I was consistently called a hater because I'm a big Jaquaski Tart guy. Say what you want about Jaquaski Tart. Maybe he doesn't notch the interceptions, which he didn't, but he never gets beat over the top. Plays sound, fundamental, defensive football. Sometimes that's what you need. Sometimes you need a big play, though. And that's what Tyler Noah Hufanga does. Unfortunately, right now, my biggest concern with him is this. If this was happening earlier in the year, I can chalk it up to a 22-year-old who is learning. It's happening later in the year. Now, why is that, uh, Rich? (laughs) Why is that, Rob? It's because people are seeing things on film and they are taking advantage of it. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Things that you see on film don't necessarily have to correlate to a big catch over Hufanga's head. If they watch you jump on a route, but the ball doesn't go over your head, yep, they're like, oh, we can get that. Now, it's happened. The Chargers game, Miami, um, and then here we are this week. They had a plan this week to attack Hufanga, Gibson, and Lenore. And that is smart because Mooney Ward is very good. Even though he gave up that one touchdown, he gave up 18 yards to Devontae Adams on five catches, right? So when you, That's when insane. You, right, you're right. When you look at Devontae Adams' game and you look at those numbers, you're like, man, he gashed them. No, he had a 60-yard catch and he had a 40-yard catch. And then everything else was kind of just regular, right? Like he, he, And I'm not trying to say you take that away because it still constitutes a monster game. But when you see those numbers, you start to think, man, he was getting 17-20 every time he got. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. But with Hufanga, bad eyes, getting sucked in by the play action. He doesn't have the speed to get back. To get That's back. it. That's and, and that was my concern. Again, always. It's just like, I, I don't want to be right about this, Rob. I want to be horribly wrong about this. I, I promise you. He deserves to be a pro bowler. He's turned the ball over. I want to be horribly wrong about this. I do not want to be right about it. When we saw him at training camp, he was better one-on-one. I said, oh, look, he's taking steps. Then you see the interceptions. I would give off the big plays if you're turning the ball over. Well, you know what? The turnovers have dried up. Now, yeah. now what are we getting instead of that? Now, my thing is, is this. D'Amico Ryans has a situation on his hand when it comes to him and he's not the only one and I don't want to pick on him I'm just starting with him how do you 
fix this without taking away the things that make Hufanga special. You can't have him playing back on his heels. He needs to be able to fire on the ball, move as fast as he can, and, and you know, instinctualize and go and, and play with his hair on fire. And how do you get him to slow down with these coverage busts while not taking away the things that make him special, Rob? And that's why D'Amico Ryans gets paid the big bucks, and I don't. I agree with everything you said about Hufanga. I, my original thought going into the year about him was, look, there is a role for him on this team in the box. He's He's got a lot of really impressive skills, but I did worry about him in coverage. I think the problem is this, and I hate to, to boil it down to just a 40-yard dash time, but he plays very much like Troy Polamalu, very instinctive. He tends to freelance at times. It's one thing to freelance when you're Troy Polamalu and you run a 4-3-3. So if you do get beat, if you're wrong, if those instincts are wrong, you can recover and make yourself right again. Hufanga can't do that. And I thought you saw that perfect example of that is that long Devontae Adams 60-yard touchdown. Hufanga is a hair away from getting to Jared Stidham and causing that throw to flutter and maybe causing an interception. That's the difference between somebody that runs a 4-3-3 and a 4-6-4. Palomalu gets there and either sacks the quarterback or disrupts the throw in some fashion. Hufanga can't do that. He's not that fast. So I almost wonder if part of it just has to be him realizing his limitations, still be instinctive and do all those things, but understand maybe dial it back just a little because if you are wrong, you don't have the speed to recover. And the Darren Waller touchdown encapsulates that perfectly, I think. You know, you you literally take one step in, and once Waller gets by you, that's it. It's 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 like, and then the it get the the gap it just widens when he tries <laughs> to turn around and run. So look, Hufanga has done some really great things. I think he's taken some steps. I think it's important to point out that he is twenty two years old. I mm-hmm. think it's important to point out that he still is impactful. I need them to find a way to stop the coverage bus while keeping him playing with his hair on fire. All the things that they like. A little bit of discipline can go a long way. Now look. Let me let me turn this around because it's not just him, and we have other concerns in the secondary. I think we understand what Mooney Ward is. We don't have to talk about him. I think we're good. Um, but my thing is, is if there's one coverage bus and your team only gives up 14 points, but you score 31, I don't think anybody cares, right? I don't think anybody cares. But when you look at what the Raiders were trying to do, they they had a game plan of like we're going to attack you guys, and we know how to attack you guys by getting you to bite on play action, things like that. Okay, so. Other teams are going to take this blueprint, and obviously it's not just Josh McDaniel. I mean, we've been noticing it for weeks, and we're not offensive coordinators, Rob. So (laughs) it's obvious that going forward, right, I think one thing that you want to point out about the Raiders is that their personnel is incredible. I think you hit on that. Uh, Adams, Waller, Jacobs, that's not – you know, you could try to do all those things that the Raiders did, but if you're running Jacoby Myers and Damian Harris and, you know, I don't know, Hunter Henry – I don't think that you're you're necessarily going to be able to be as effective. Helps that you just go all Patriots right there. I just did because I was thinking that I was just thinking that I was just thinking like what's a what's a meh group right? Like what's a meh group? (laughs) Um, But that's the thing is the personnel has a lot to do with it as well. But here's the problem: when you get into the playoffs, the personnel gets better. I mean, when if you face the Eagles, it's going to be Devonta Smith, AJ Brown, and Dallas Goddard. If you face the Cowboys, it's going to be Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, and Dalton Schultz. If you face the, the Minnesota Vikings, it's going to be Hawkinson, uh, Thielen, and Justin Jefferson. So this has to get tightened up. The good news is, is that there's another week of this that you can tighten it up, and you can bet your ass that D'Amico Ryans is on it. But Demo Lenore, 
had a very rough game in this game. Um, I understand if you guys want to dispute the Devontae Adams catch, that's fine. What I what I want fans to understand is this, and I think this is the best way for you to not get as upset about what's a catch and what's not a catch. Just think about it like this. Is there enough to overturn it? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you think it's a catch or not. And that's my that was my thought process the whole time. I said that's a catch. There's no way they have enough to change that. Whether you believe it's a catch or not, we you know, the referees don't even know what a catch is. The best way for you to look at it is, was there enough on the the replay for them to overturn it? I said no. That was a catch through and through. I had no doubt in my mind that it was. But let's let's even take that catch away. No, what Rob disagrees. Let's let's take that catch away. So he went five for eight, a hundred and something yards. So you take away the forty yards, that means it's sixty. Okay, and then that, that means he would have been four for four for eight, I believe, um, in targets. He allowed, he allowed a passer rating of over a hundred. He had a penalty. He had two horrible missed tackles. Josh Jacobs shook him out of, out of yeah, like it, it, and it gets scary because not only one is he being targeted at a high rate. Now you know you can run at him and you can get by him. Lenore seems like the weak link right now, right, Rob? Well, I think he is, but I also don't think that that is a new discovery for offensive coordinators around the league. Even like you were talking about before, right? Process of elimination. Who do you want to attack? You don't want to attack Mooney Ward. No way. You don't want to attack these linebackers. You want to attack Gibson and you want to attack Lenore. Um, So... On the one hand, I'm sure D'Amico Ryans is aware of it, but on the other hand, like he still has to play on the field, and I do think that it's going to be a target for the 49ers going forward, but it's not a new scenario, right? I mean, God knows last year, both corners were liabilities, and the 49ers still found a way to have a very good defense. So uh, credit to Josh McDaniels and Adams and all those guys but I think that the Niners are going to be prepared for it, and we've seen them compensate for corners before, and at least now they have Mooney Ward on the other side, so there's only one corner that they have to really worry about. Yeah, and I thought Mosley was really good last year as well, too, but I, but I do want to go back to your point about last year with Ambry Thomas. I mean, Ambry Thomas steps into his first start, and, well, who are we playing this week? Oh, the Cincinnati Bengals, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, and somehow... <laughs> D'Amico Ryans was able to figure out a way to hide him for most of that game. Obviously, he couldn't the entire game. And hey, look, they won a bunch of playoff games uh, last year with him. Um, But I think the pass rush can do a little bit more. You know, I mean, pressures are fine. But getting to the quarterback and stopping the plays would also help. You know, again, NFL corners, when they have to cover two, three, four, five seconds, there's not really many that can do it. So, yeah, I think this this isn't a new development. Um, It just, again... This is something that we've talked about. It we spoke about it last episode. It's just the only place that you can attack this defense right now. And I think there's too much evidence of you not being able to sustain success by throwing the ball in front of defenders. Meaning, if you're thinking about throwing the ball in front of Hufanga or right there in front of Ward, I mean uh, Warner and Greenlaw, they're too fast. They're going to get there and they're going to wrap you up. So how do you counteract that? You counteract that by going against their aggressiveness. If you have an offensive scheme that can take shots down the field, that is the one place that the 49ers are a bit vulnerable at this point. And it's not, you cannot be able to throw screen passes, anything like that. This defense... It gets to the ball too fast. Everybody fires to the ball too fast. They have too much speed in that sense. But over the top is where they seem to be vulnerable. And we're going to figure out pretty soon if this is going to be something that offenses take advantage of 
or if the 49ers are able to counteract that with a great pass rush. Tashawn Gibson gave up two catches in this one. Sure, he had the game-sealing interception. Okay, you know, like that. that's, you know, that's the way that you – Again, you give up plays, but you 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 have takeaways. I'm fine with that. Like I'm I'm fine with that. I'm there has to be give and take. Not everybody's gonna be perfect, but you know, like I said, the interceptions are drying up for, for Hufanga, you know, Lenore. This is something that is like a few weeks in a row now. Um, it's not again panic time. It's still a concern, but again, credit the Raiders because they came out and they attacked all those things, Rob. Yeah, you gotta give credit to the other team as well. I, I really like your point on Hufanga. Like we're, we tolerate those blown coverages because he makes game-changing plays, and he hasn't had some of those in a little bit, and he's got to find a way to do it because if you're not getting those equalizing-type plays, then you're just a flat-out liability out there, and that's not what the 49ers need, and I think he will. You know, like you said, he's 22. You know, it, he's going to learn, um, but it, we'll see. In the playoffs, like I could easily see him. He could have a game where he gets beat early and then comes back late and scoops up a fumble and runs it back or whatever. But he's got to get that straightened out. But I think the 49ers will. I I just I have confidence in this team that even with Lenore, you know, maybe Lenore gets beat for seven points, 14 points in a game. He's not going to have a Brian Allen type game where he just wrecks the game plan. And I think this offense is at a point now where. They can compensate for some of that. They're going to keep scoring. And so if that's the case, I just ultimately have faith in this team that you're not going to be able to beat them enough consistently on defense, and you're not going to be able to stop this offense consistently enough to lose. I think the Niners are going to be such a tough out for everybody. Brian Allen just sitting on his couch catching strays from Rob Guerrero. Like, you hate to see it. lives forever. People don't forget, Brian. (laughs) You hate to see it. (laughs) But, yeah, again, I think – the way that you look at this game probably speaks to, I guess, your your outlook on many things, including life, right? You can look at this game and say, how on earth did they give up this many points to a backup quarterback? Oh, God, the sky is falling. And you seem like a, a glass half empty guy. I am a glass half full guy. So I'm going to look at it like this. This team is showing you different ways to win games. Good teams find ways to win this game. Bad teams find ways to make excuses for why they lost the game. So in a game which your defense wasn't up to par, and like Rob said, your defense isn't going to be like that, even if we set our watch to it every single week, because they literally have been. The name of the game is score more points than your opponent. How many points is that? If they have nine, you need 10. They have 34, you need 35. I don't care how you get the win done. If you are resilient enough to have a rookie quarterback in a situation like that and still be able to come back from 10 points down, I think it speaks more to the confidence that you are now gaining from that young man and this team. And for the first time, Rob, and you can you can call me crazy, right? The 49ers go down 10, you start to feel like, all right, in years past, all right, this one, this one might not be our day. I they went down 10 and I said, you know what? They're still gonna win this damn game. Is that am I off? I was more of I'm not, I'm sort of glad they're down 10, like because a loss, like they already clinched. The, the NFC West. So it was like, you know, you weren't white knuckling like, oh my God, they might lose. It was more like, okay, let's see it, Brock. Like we kind of hadn't seen it to that point. So maybe you can, maybe you can't, but I liked the opportunity to see it. And, you know, I just want to point out to people because I've heard this from a lot of national media people too. It's like Niners are on their third string rookie quarterback picked in the seventh round. And we're complaining about style points in a victory 
against the Raiders, which never even should have gone to overtime, by the way. Robbie Gold makes that kick, and this game ends in regulation. Like, Get him, Rob. Think about where we are. We're, we're You're complaining about this? Oh, the disappointing performance by the four. Shut up. Shut up. The Eagles can't win a game with their backup quarterback, and we're beating teams with our third-string quarterback. Like, let's realize where we are here. Absolutely. All right, so this is the perfect place to go right before we end this thing. The Eagles did lose to the New Orleans Saints. And right now, I mean, I record this in my walk-in closet. I have a Giants jersey. I will be wearing <laughs> this Giants jersey at 4 o'clock on the same time that the 49ers play the Arizona Cardinals. The 49ers are now in the second seed. I think we all knew that the Green Bay Packers were going to beat the Vikings. I didn't know that they were going to dog walk the Vikings in that fashion. Yeah. But hello, Kirk Cousins. It might as well have been a primetime game at this point. But sounds like Brian Dabble said after the game. And now, look, I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying he's been saying different things after. So we don't know. Yes. But right after the game, he said, no, 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 no talk and rest or anything like that. The starters, I think that was the adrenaline and the the euphoria of the, the playoff berth and him puffing his chest out and saying, now, you know, but Rob, I want to toss a scenario out to you real quick. I believe it was Doug Peterson's last season in which the Eagles were in the final game of the season. And I forget who it was that they were facing an Eagles victory would have granted the giants a playoff berth and inexplicably halfway through that game, Nate Suffield comes out and all the backups come out and then they wind up losing that game. Obviously Giants fans and the Giants organization weren't happy about that, but Hey, the Eagles can do whatever they want. I want to throw this at you, Rob. Do the Giants have that little you in their, in their blood to say, you know what, man, we are going to play our guys. And if it costs you a buy, because we're in the same division, it's just a cherry on top. What do you think? Do you think that there's a little revenge in the air? Because I love a good revenge game. I think that's part of it. And also, like, who are you to be resting your guys? You're the your starters aren't that good. All right, like, I hate to break it to you, but come on, man. But no, I you know everyone goes back to the year the Patriots went undefeated. Who did they play in the final week of the regular season? The Giants. The Giants could have rested their guys, but they didn't. They played their guys and they gave the Patriots a hell of a game. And they were like, you know what, like. We have confidence that we can play with these guys. Here the Giants are again. They're obviously a lower seed in the conference, but they're in the playoffs. I think the Giants want to go out and say, you know what? We got to prove that we're not just, you know, the token playoff team that's going to get eliminated in the first round. Like we want to show that we got a little something here. They got their doors blown off by the Eagles earlier in the year. The Eagles almost put up 50 on them. It was 48-22. I think the Giants want to show they got a little something here. I think it's going to be a hell of a game. It'll be interesting to see if Jalen Hurts plays. If he doesn't play, you know, if he plays, is he totally healthy? Do they not want to run him as much because they're worried about the shoulder? Like, I wouldn't be shocked to see Gardner Minshew out there. I think it's very possible the Niners could end up with the top seed in the conference, which would be massive for them right now. Absolutely. It means that they would never have to leave the West Coast for the rest of the season. All of the games would go to Santa Clara, and then it's just a bus ride to Glendale, Arizona, which would be incredible, and that's exactly what we're looking for. But I think I speak for all 49er fans when we say, let's go, G-Man! I can't believe this is where we are right now. I mean, I live right here by MetLife Stadium, and I am egging all my Giants fans' friends on, like, 
go get it done, go get them. Like that, like they, like that matters. Like they even know who the you know the Giants fans are at this point. But it's just interesting. Again, this is why you always continue to play. You never know what will happen. Right now, the Eagles are looking a little bit vulnerable at this point with their you know obviously I think Jalen Hurts strengthened his MVP case without playing somehow. Um, the Vikings, <laughs> <laughs> the Vikings look vulnerable. Dallas has been up and down. This just speaks to why everybody's so excited for the 49ers, even if it is with Brock Purdy. It's not necessarily that you have all this confidence that Brock Purdy is a world beater. I think it's when you look around the NFC, there's so many teams that are vulnerable, and the 49ers have a answer for almost all of them at this point. So we're going to find out. If the Eagles have to play on, week, on Wild Card Weekend, it would be a massive disappointment for them because they had led this thing for so long. So here we are, Week 18. You can't really rest, guys. Good thing that the, the Cardinals have completely checked out. I mean, I checked out a hard knocks. So I'm done with that. Um, but, you know, the, the Eagles, I think Jalen Hurts probably plays, but I think it is a good point, Rob. How effective is he? Will they run him? Um, will he be a little bit rusty? All you need is maybe like a half of him being rusty and the Giants stay in that game. And then all of a sudden, it's game on now. And now anything can happen in the second half. So it's going to be an interesting week 18. The, you know, the NFL continues to give us theater. I think uh, I think that's great for the 49ers. What is happening with the Eagles is the perfect scenario with them. They've had some really big injuries down the stretch. And of course, we want everybody to be healthy. I'm not happy that guys are injured. I'm just saying from a pure football standpoint, the 49ers, I think, are going into the playoffs from a health standpoint in a decent spot. And I think the Eagles are in the worst spot they have been health-wise all season. That's why you keep playing the games. That's why everybody asked me in week five, do you think this team can make a deep playoff run? Why ask me in week five? Ask me in week 18 <laughs> when we figure out what teams are. The Eagles have all these injuries now. Minnesota's showing their cracks. I mean, they won 11 one-score games. Do you think that that's something that's sustainable? That's not sustainable at all for them. Look at the Packers. Now everybody is crowning the Packers. Oh, you don't want to play the Packers. I don't care. Bring them on. Um, and then you look around. <laughs> And then you look around at, you know, Dallas, they're up and down. So that, that's the thing is, is people get too wrapped up in the playoff thing. And I kept seeing, and, and it was kind of me just pushing off the answer because I, I didn't want to make any grand statements in week five, but it probably is the best way to view this thing is talk to me in week 18, when you have a full body of work, when you have an entire season, when you figure out who, how healthy guys are, you know, the Eagles had this extreme run of no sort of injuries. And then it all happens at the end of the year. That's why you kind of would hope that it happens earlier in the year. But now here we are in week 18. The 49ers have a chance to clinch home field throughout the playoffs. I mean, it would just be it would just be massive for this team. And then we have to have a bigger discussion. Coach can win with this third string quarterback. The other coach can't get it done with his second string quarterback. Who's really the coach of the year at this point, Rob? Oh, please. I've been screaming. it. It's over. It's over now, regardless of what happens in week 18. This is insanity. The Giants, Brian Dable deserves coach of the year. Why? Because his roster is worse. He's got his starting running back out there. He's got his starting quarterback out there. This is a third string rookie quarterback. And it's not like everybody else around Brock Purdy has been healthy, by the way. Kittle's been out. Debo's been out. Multiple running backs have been out. There have been defensive players that have missed time. Like, let's stop acting like Brock Purdy was the only change the 49ers have had. Kyle Shanahan is the coach of the year, period. Don't tell me about the Giants, who, by the way, have lost to every single good team that they have played on the schedule. Like, do I really need to go through it? The Cowboys, they lost twice. The Lions, they lost to the Eagles. They got their doors blown off. The Vikings, close game, Great but close they game. lost it. Like, 
the 49ers are blowing teams out with their third string rookie quarterback. It's not close. Kyle Shanahan is the coach of the year by the mile, and he's never going to win it. Let's go, Rob. Rob's spitting to end this episode. Also, I think that's another thing 49er fans forgot. You forgot what a close game looked like. <laughs> you completely forgot what a close game looked like. And it showed on Twitter. It showed, man. People were just out there losing their mind. I love Twitter during the game. But, yeah, the 49ers have been. Their their point differential is, is massive, and they're doing all of this with their third-string quarterback. But I think that's an hour. I mean, this was a great episode. Again, I want to say before we go, prayers to DeMar Hamlin, um, his family. Um, good thoughts, good vibes. Uh, you know, we can only just hope and wait for some good news. Um, just remember, this is bigger than football. Hold your loved ones close. Tell them you love them. Call somebody that you haven't spoken to in a while. Do all of those things. Don't want to get melodramatic, but it's still it's still tough to be able to talk about football without having this on my mind. And, and everyone else is probably thinking the same thing at this point, right, Rob? I completely agree with you. And we'll, we'll, there's time to straighten out all the other stuff later, the logistics of when they finish the game, all that stuff. Get well, Hamlin. Thoughts and prayers out to you, and uh, we'll we'll take it one step at a time. Absolutely. So follow me on Twitter, at JasonAponte2103. Follow Rob, at StatsOnFire on Twitter. Follow Steph, at Steph49K on Twitter as well. Make sure you subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network wherever you get your audio podcasts. Drop that five-star review so we can read it on here. For Jason, for Rob, we're out of here. <laughs>